Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey everyone, this is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Welcome to the You're OK Mental Fitness Studio. I would like to thank our sponsors, Ned Siegfried, Luke Peterson, and Todd Bradford with Siegfried and Jensen, Mark Richards with Wasatch Recovery, Colby and McKenzie with Thread Wallets, Drew Peterson with First Digital, Greg Jackson with Mountain West Spine and Orthopedics, and Travis Whitaker, the owner of Living Recovery Interventions. And also, I'd like to give a shout out to Paul Cardall. The music that you hear at the beginning and the ending of these episodes is by Paul Cardall. He's an amazing person, and he's been one of my heroes for years. So thanks to all my sponsors and Paul Cardall for believing in me. I love you guys so much. Please enjoy this next episode. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd with the Todd's Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for tuning in once again. You guys are fantastic. The support you guys are giving this podcast has been phenomenal. And I know it's because of these amazing people I bring on with these stories that just blow my mind sometimes. Like, how do people overcome these things? And it's so cool to to hear these stories. And it brings such hope and such, you know, confidence that we can actually make it through difficult times. And so thank you for all your support. I just mentioned the sponsors earlier. You, you'll hear that. But thank you for all your support and believing in me. And uh, thank you for believing in everything that I do and supporting that. Today, uh, we're joined by Portia Louder. Portia, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate being here. Yeah, it's so good to have you. Um, I'm grateful for all that she does, guys. And a little background on her. She started her career as a photographer, and she built a company documenting weddings in Utah and the surrounding states. And you began investing in real estate in 2004, and you know things got out of hand, and we're going to get into that. You won't believe this woman's story. I mean, uh, you spent four and a half years in federal prison. I did, yeah. Um, struggled with addiction, struggled with just... Everything that comes with it, right? And and but the cool thing is, is she wrote a book called A Compassionate Journey Through. No, is that right? Sorry. Yep, a compassionate just, journey through federal prison. Sorry, I bu- I butchered that. Um, <laughs> Living so louder, a compassionate journey through federal prison, and teaches which teaches empowerment skills and, uh, to the incarcerated individuals. So you're always in the prisons helping people out. You're, you're dealing with out, at-risk youth. You're working with them as well. Mm-hmm. You're just doing a lot of good now. You're on the board of the Sobriety Foundation yep. where we were, we were at an event just recently together, which was really cool. Yep. That was awesome just to be a part of that on so many levels. Yeah, you know? it's an amazing organization doing yeah. good things. So, so anyway, and, and as everyone knows that when I do these podcasts, I'm always butchering the intros. So <laughs> thanks for still loving me, knowing that I... <laughs> I'm human. I love that. <laughs> I yep. make mistakes. Right. Anyway, but I'm excited to hear about your book and everything that's going on with that. So why don't we start with, tell tell our listeners where you grew up and a little bit about your family. Yeah. Well, I grew up here in Utah in a small town, actually just outside of Richfield, if you know where that is in southern Utah. Yeah. I am the oldest of seven children. 
And oh, man. yeah. And so, and my <laughs> parents were, they were kind of, I mean, the, they were really non-traditional. And the best way to describe that would be that they were like hippies before oh, okay. it was a thing to be a hippie. Uh, like, all right, yeah. So in our <laughs> home, there was no structure. And I've had therapists say, oh, you were parentified at a young age. I probably was. I don't know. We all are something at a young age. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but there were a lot of benefits. My parents were creative. We, we had a lot of fun. We played hard. Yeah. But when it came to school and the beginning, you know, when I had to start walking the line, it was difficult because I just yeah. hadn't had to do that. And so, and I can look back and say, I think my first real addiction was to relationships. To okay. Boys. Yeah, right. <laughs> I thought what other people thought of me was it. You know, when I was, by the time I was 13, I was dating boys that were 16 and 17. And, right. And that rush, that... You know, yeah. Even now, I think relationships can almost be worse than drugs, like when you are addicted to that. Absolutely. And so... Um, Were your parents cool with that? Like being the hippies, just relax. <laughs> hey, go ahead and date these older guys. <laughs> you know, my parents were busy because they had seven kids. And so they had a lot of kids coming, you know. Keeping and, them occupied. <laughs> right. They were, yeah, they were busy with kids. And also, I think that I had a pretty strong personality. And so I just did what I wanted to do. So, you know, my dad would wasn't real happy with it but i just did what i wanted to do and they right. had had you know and so um i was raised i guess you could say a pretty non-traditional member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints okay but i walked out on that when i was 13 i'm like i'm done you're like i'm done yeah <laughs> i'm dating boys yeah yeah <laughs> i'm gonna be out there <laughs> i'm gonna do what i want to yeah. do and so um were you kind of a rebellious child yeah like, feel like i that? think so yeah yeah i mean I don't know. I when I look back at myself, I have a lot of compassion for myself because mm -hmm. I just didn't knew, know my worth. I yeah. didn't know who I was, you right. know. And I've I've come to believe that as a parent, maybe the the most important thing I can do is to know who I am yeah. and to have my own love that. Yeah, just to keep my own foundation so firm because I can't really give something to my kids that I don't have. And I feel like my mom especially never knew how amazing she was. And that makes me sad because she wasn't really able to give that to us, you know? Yeah. But, um, so by the time I was 17, I was pregnant with my first child. Oh yeah. 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 And I had just decided, you know, I'm ready to move on and have a family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm old enough. Let's <laughs> do this. My 17 yeah. year old self. And <laughs> I moved out into a low income apartment. And I remember thinking if I could just find the right guy, everything would work out. Yeah. Not that the problems inside of me, I'm looking, you know, yeah, for someone right. else. And so I, I met a guy that was a lot older than me and we got married and it wasn't going great. Um, I had my little boy at, before I married him, I was babysitting ch other children that were in single parent homes in this low income apartment. And wow. I couldn't really imagine myself having much of a future. And Something happened, though, right about that time, my dad got a job up here and moved to Sandy. And I had never been really out of that town. I don't really? think I'd ever been on an airplane. No, I hadn't. And <laughs> I, I know uh, I had a very small life yeah, hey. in the little town, you know. Yeah, sure. I mean, I had partied and stuff, but I, I wasn't addicted to any, any drugs. Um, and I came up to see... My parents brought my little boy. I remember coming over the point of the mountain because we had been to Orem. But yeah. when you come up over the point of the mountain, it was like 
kind of grand for You're me like, to whoa, see. Look whoa, look at that city out there. There's a, there's a world up here, yeah, you know. Uh-huh. And my uncle at the time owned a photography studio, the Kitty Candid Studios in the malls. And oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> yeah, yep. And so um, my mom said, you know, your uncle would give you a job and. I thought, I'm going to move up here. So I went back and I told mm-hmm. my husband, I said, I'm, I want to move up there. Let's move up there. He said, go ahead. I'm never leaving this town, you know. Oh, really? He <laughs> w- wanted nothing to, to no, do No, I didn't want to leave. And, and I mean, our relationship wasn't great anyway. So I did. I moved up, brought my son, started working, and then I found out I was pregnant. And so I let him know. And he said, well, I'm not coming up there. And, you know, you're kind of on your own. And mm. I'm not interested in making it work. And I remember feeling really lonely. Just oh, sad. yeah. It's just a hard time. So at this point, obviously, you know, you guys are moving on from each other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and and, you, and you're pregnant and you already have one child. Yeah, a single mom. And so. you're young. I'm young. So young. Right. So <laughs> it was it was a lonely time. I remember after I had my little girl, they had they made me a manager at the studio. And I I had some confidence in what my abilities were in terms of work, but just discouraged, you know, yeah. and I still and it gets worse before it gets better so yeah um you know i again i thought that if i could find the right man like it was and that's why i say relationships were my first problem yeah because you kept thinking that's the answer yes i just find the right person everything will be fine yeah when i would look at a couple that seemed to have it together that's that was what i could see like a marriage two happy people (laughs) not realizing that the person you know i gotta fix me yeah right yeah Mm -hmm. so i got involved in another relationship and I, and I ended up getting pregnant and I remember being scared. Like for the first time, you know, you, I should have been scared when I was 17, Yeah. (laughs) but I wasn't, I just wasn't. And then I, I said probably the most authentic real prayer I've ever, you know, up to that point that I had said, which was, I don't know what to do. I have two children and I'm not really taking great care of these two kids. And I don't know what to do. And, and now I'm pregnant again. I'm pregnant again. So, like, it was was it just kind of like I need to ask God just, yeah, for help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was bigger than me. Like it you, was. You just, were just like I'm. I'm just scared. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but when I prayed, I had this feeling of warmth come over me, mm. and I, I knew that the child was like I just felt a lot of love, but I also knew that. I needed to give him up for adoption. Like I yeah. felt really strong about that. And I remember telling my mom and my mom said, well, that would be too hard. Let me raise him. And I said, mom, you didn't even raise me really. I mean, come on, you know? Yeah, and, right. she, and she kind of agreed. I mean, she's, she's like, like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, a good that's, point. <laughs> luckily, my parents don't get offended easily. So. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt this, um, like I knew that he had a family that I needed to find. And so I started looking and I went to several different attorneys and, I found his family. Like I knew his family when I found him. And mm. when I met his family, I, I loved them. That's never changed. I love his mother, his adoptive mother, and I are share a spiritual bond that's so beautiful. But it, it got worse again before it got better. The pregnancy was great. They were with me through every doctor appointment. As soon as I had David, I felt completely empty inside. I just, you know, I didn't know how to get counseling or trauma or anything like that and I tried to go back to work and I started using pain pills and so it was like immediately just I needed to fill the emptiness I didn't know anything about what I was going through and and it got worse I went from pain pills to street drugs and lost my job and my 
even the birth parents or the adoptive parents kind of distance themselves, which is understandable at that right. point. You know, it was just like, and, and I, um, I remember a c- coming home late one night. I was out all the time at this point using drugs. And my mom said, when I walked in, she said, your little boy's been waiting here all night for you crying. He was about oh, eight, wow. nine years old. And she said, so if this isn't enough for you, Portia, whatever would be. Whatever would, yeah. Yeah, and I and I walked downstairs and I laid on the floor and I, I curled up and I just sobbed. It was like too much, you know. I had felt I'm trying to run from this pain, yeah. and now I've run right into more pain. And again, I said, "Please, God, help me. I can't quit on my own. I will give up everything yeah. if you just help me." Yeah not hurt my kids anymore you know yeah right and, and oh, i man. i remember i'm like i'll give up relationships i'll never get married again yeah. i'll give up drugs but i can't do it alone yeah and you really can't or at least i couldn't yeah you know and and so the next day uh, i got a, i had made promises to myself numerous times trying to quit using drugs that i couldn't keep yeah. i just had no faith in myself anymore i'd lost my integrity with myself and so i went across the street and asked a neighbor who I didn't know very well, but I knew could help me. And I said, I need help. Yeah. And he got me involved in the AA program. And I remember <laughs> walking into a meeting the first time and I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> there's some genuine happiness in here, you know? Yeah, <laughs> there's a good feeling in there. Yeah, there's yeah. like honesty. People are being honest. Yeah. And there was some man in the front of the room that had light and had two years sober. And I couldn't comprehend that at that point. For yeah. me, I'm like, yeah. how did he get from where I am to there? And yeah, and so I started on this journey of recovery, and my whole life changed. I mean, it was so beautiful. It was so hard. Hardest thing I ever oh, did. Oh yeah, for like, sure. It was hard. <laughs> it took me probably nine months to quit dreaming about drugs and wanting to use drugs. <laughs> right. Like you know, like every day. <laughs> Absolutely, it's real. But yeah. man, I I remember thinking. If somebody could have put their arms around me and told me how beautiful life gets when you get sober, mm-hmm. oh, I wish that someone could just tell you. But you just have to step into the dark a little bit. Yeah, it's just yep. tough. You do. And so, and and I think that's what's beautiful about meetings or going to treatment mm-hmm. is that somebody's a little further down the road than you. Yeah, I, I'm, it's interesting you say that because I'll say that to my clients all the time because they're like, "Well, yeah, Todd. Well, you've got you know 33 years and all this," <laughs> and and I always just say, "Hey, I'm just a little further down the road. We're yeah. the same." Honestly, at the, at the end of the day, we're the same. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take a step back and say, here's what someone once told me yeah. that helped me. And that's all I'm doing here. Yep. So I love that you say that. It's so true. Yeah. It's just, it's just when, when, so, when you can see somebody that, that, that's done it, yeah. it gives you hope. It's like, it that's the guide. That's yeah. the way it's possible, you know? Yeah, right. And so I, I started on this journey and man, I remember when I was nine months sober, and I felt free for the first time, maybe in my life. I yeah. it was like my soul yeah. had opened up and I was like, this is what other people feel like, you know? Yeah. So grateful. <laughs> Gosh, I remember the first time I took my son on a field trip, my little boy that, and I was sitting around with all these other women and I thought, I just wanted to scream. I'm being a good mom. Yes. You do not know how epic this is. You have you know? no idea. Yeah, that is so cool. <laughs> how hard I worked to get here. Yeah. Oh, and wow. I, yeah, I just, I really gained faith that I would need later that God could do something for me I couldn't do for myself. I just, I knew because I had tried everything to, to fix my own problems. Well, and you, you mentioned you were, you know, you were raised to believe in God and in yeah. that kind of thing. Obviously 
you were rebelling against all of that right. early on. And, uh, but that obviously was a key point for you in moving forward for you. Like your faith means a lot to you in that, correct? My faith is, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I know who I am to God and that has changed everything for me. Mm. And that's what I want so much for every person I meet. You know, I had, and I'll share later an experience that I had as my life progressed that helped me see my own worth and the worth of everyone else around me. And I was like, Oh wow. And that, that's something to fight for. I mean, I fight, you know, I fight because I know what I'm capable of, who I am, but I didn't, I didn't know that. And I think it changes you when you know that. So. Well, let's get to that part of your story because things yeah. uh, are things still got better and got worse. <laughs> things got better and got worse as well. But yeah. yeah. And, and what I love, first of all, before we get into this, how open you are. Thanks. I think that's part of your power is this vulnerability. You're willing to just own your story. And I think that's why people resonate with you so much. Thank you. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you're, 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 you're getting clean. You're doing good. You're yeah. working on the steps. You're connecting with God. Yeah. So Go my from hu- there. Yeah. I met my husband, Chad, who's kind of an amazing soul. He's yeah. a pretty awesome guy. And <laughs> uh, he adopted my two kids and, and we started building this life. And, you know, it was beautiful because I knew the difference. You yeah. Know? Right. Oh, yeah. And so I woke up every day grateful that I had my life. It was like, I, I remember being in drug houses. I remember <laughs> that garbage. And, and yeah, today, yeah. like it was just miraculous to me that I could get up in the morning and get my kids breakfast and get them to school. And and I started my own company. First I was working for family and then doing my own stuff on the side and my business just grew, 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 which I think just good things happen in recovery, you know? Yeah, right. And I had four and a half years sober. Mm. I got really busy. My business grew to like 200 weddings a year. So I had employees. I was trying to juggle that. Yeah. And then Chad and I had two children like 18 months apart. I never struggle with getting pregnant. <laughs> and, yeah, you know? it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. And I and I mean, I'm not I know people that have struggled with that and yeah. I and but I'm just saying when it's a like for me, I think there's only been one time that birth control's actually worked for me. So, you know, but anyway, um but having two kids so close together, I and then I injured my back. And so I had back surgery and I didn't tell the doctor that I was an addict mm. and he prescribed opiates. And I remember in the beginning, I thought I can handle it. I'm just taking, taking him for the pain. And then yeah. pretty soon I'm taking him to get up in the morning. And, and about the same time we decided to build a home in Highland because we needed a bigger home for the studio that I was, you know, I was working out of our home. So we needed a bigger home and the market was just going crazy in the real estate market. And I yeah. remember at first I'm buying and flipping lots and doing photography, thinking that I can slow down. I have nannies now take care of, I mean, you know, I'm adding things to it. Yeah. thinking I'm going to slow down. Right. And then my judgment, you know, I, I, I remember somebody presenting a real estate deal to me that I thought I would never do that. And a few months later I was doing those deals and I was using drugs and yeah. my, you know, what I know about myself is that the one thing that can take me out is drugs. Like if I use drugs, then. Well, then what it does too, like you just mentioned, is you start justifying doing other irrational, oh, yeah. unhealthy behaviors yep. on top of it. 
Oh yeah. All all just to make sure you're taking care of the drugs and, yeah. and getting your fix. Yeah, and and the problem with me is I just don't like drugs. I like to hustle too, <laughs> and that's what yeah. I found about most addicts is like yeah. you get in the thick of the addiction and then you want to hustle and make more money and it's just this cycle yeah. and ah, oh, it was really chaotic. And I remember hearing I was under federal investigation and thinking, well, I haven't done anything that bad. Banks are doing this. They're doing that. Justifying it, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, And then the FBI showed up at my house. Oh, wow. I can just promise you it's like the worst experience ever. <laughs> you never want yeah, the FBI to Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine. I bet you felt just sick. Sick and oh, scared. And I, I had just had... I had a three-month-old baby at the time when they walked in, and I remember thinking, take everything. You can have everything. Please just go away. Like, I've worked yeah. too hard for this. Please just yeah, go away. Yeah, right. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I was so scared. And Did gosh, they take it, you away right then and there? They didn't. Okay. If there's, you know, I've had enough time to reflect, and I think looking back at my life, if I could have just said, yep, I made a mistake, owned it, Let, what can we do to move forward? It would have been a completely different outcome for me. Yeah. But I didn't. I just kept denying it. Yeah. And there's no power in that, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, again, I think people can also understand why you denied it because you were scared, obviously. Who wouldn't be? Right. But yeah, there's something about owning your story and how powerful that can be. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I didn't. I drug it out, hired lawyers, spent every dime we had to Jeez. fight it. And in the end, I walked into a federal courthouse anyway. So, wow. and that day was the first time, like it was the most, um, first of all, the courtroom is extremely sterile and there's just, it like all the denial slips away. It's like, holy heck, you yeah. know, what is You feel exposed probably. Completely exposed yeah. and very lonely. Oh, I've man. talked to multiple <laughs> people that have been through this and they're like, I've talked to some people that look pretty tough that say that they curled up in a ball and cried like a baby after their court experience. <laughs> it's I just bet. so shockingly oh, painful. I can't even imagine, seriously. <laughs> yeah. In fact, like as you're saying this, my heart's even kind of beating faster just listening to you talk about it. Yeah, it took oh, my God. whole family. We can finally drive by that courthouse now. But, but <laughs> the other day I told Chad, it doesn't even bother me anymore. It's like a huge win. Yeah, that you know? is a big win. But before you're like, avoid that. Yeah, don't We're go, down go, down go this <laughs> way. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, it oh, was just our, our whole life just changed, you know. It was really, really oh, my heavy. And, yeah. But yeah, that day, um, a couple things happened. Yeah. You know, the judge, w when they say the United States of America versus Portia Louder, it's like, whoa, you know, whoa, my whole country <laughs> is against it, me. Against you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are heavy like words. That. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And the judge gave me a chance to get up and apologize. And I remember feeling um, very anxious. And I just, again, I just prayed. I'm like, give me the strength to do what I need to do today. I knew when I walked in, I was going to get the maximum sentence. And I, and I knew that I deserved it. And yeah. that was a shock to me because up yeah. to that point, I was so busy trying to argue and trying deny to fight it. it. And yeah. yeah, sure. And now it's like, oh, no, I, and this is going to happen. And so I apologized and I said, I probably deserve what you're about to do. I apologize to my community and to my family. And in fact, I remember the the news was there and they were trying to interview me as we walked up and they said, 
are you guilty, Miss Outer? And I said, I am guilty. And later, <laughs> I had a, I was working with a therapist Man. and he goes, I watched you on the news. He goes, you could have said that in the courtroom, not out on the courthouse steps. <laughs> I said, well, I'm pretty sure everyone knew at that uh, point, you know? Yeah. So, but oh it gosh. was, it was a day. And so the judge sentenced me to 84 months, which is seven years. Yeah. How, okay. Now, I know it's probably hard to describe in words, but to hear in a courtroom like that, that guilty, yeah, eighty-four months, yeah. I mean, what how, what did it feel like to hear that? That so, it shocked me. I honestly felt like, and I still think it was kind of a death in that moment. Yeah, I looked back, and my my husband and our five children were sitting there. My my yeah. husband was holding our little girl who was seven years old oh, at the time. Man. So in my mind, I'm thinking, he just took away as many years as my daughter spent alive. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. It was, and the judge said, you'll be a mother again someday, Miss Louder. And I remember thinking, I don't think he can take that away from me. <laughs> it was just like a surreal experience. I thought, wait, he just said. And then what I thought, did you say? what did he just say? What is happening? Yeah. Oh, and man. I and I was kind of in shock. And then, yeah. and then he said, "I'd like the U.S. Marshals to take you into custody today." And that shook me up. I was like, "Wait, man. no!" Because my I get to say goodbye to my kids, and my husband's taking me to prison. And I turned around. I said, "Could you help me understand why you want to do that?" And my lawyer looks at me, and she's like, "I think she's in shock." And she goes, "Your Honor, we we're asking you not to do that. You know, she needs to say goodbye to her family." And he said, well, Miss Louder, I fear you don't understand the seriousness of what you've done and this sentence, and I fear you could take your own life. And I was like, huh? I was just in shock. Yeah, the whole thing was very wow. shocking. Vertigo, probably. Yeah, like, it was. I was, up, like, what's, what's I was like, I'm, I knew Jeez. that if he shackled me in front of my kids and, and oh. I l walked out of the courtroom that day, that that was something that I couldn't, I didn't think I could do that, you know? And then my husband stood up at the... He, I turned around and I watched him hand our little girl to my oldest daughter and he was sobbing and he just stood up. He said, please don't do this to her. Please give us this time to say goodbye. And that was probably one of the most special moments of my life to see the man that I had drugged yeah. through all this standing there advocating with the judge for me. It was really a tender moment. I was like, we're going to do this together. And you're like, this guy really does love me. Yeah. Right. I, yes. Yeah. I did. That's, I knew. All, that's amazing. So, Yeah. The judge did agree to give me eight weeks and I we walked out of that courtroom and I don't think I could speak for at least an hour. You know, Chad was trying to talk to me on our way home. He's like, are you OK? And I just I was so broken. I felt like I must be the worst person to have done this because the reality of what it just it just I had been in denial, you know, so yeah. it became very real for me. And I got home and all I, I remember, I had kind of a business that I was doing an eBay business and I just said I'm done I'm done with everything I have eight weeks I watched my children sleep I drove them to school I walked to the mailbox with them I did everything that I had you know to me I still look back and I think how could I have been so foolish that I was so worried about making money so that I could spend time with my kids when I had all the time with my kids that I gave up for money oh, and it just you know I realized that not only had I made a mistake, but I had denied the mistake and I had brought myself right to that point. And it was like, you know, we're all going to make a mistake, but if somewhere along the line I could have owned it, it just, the, the devastation of what I had done to myself was very real. Man. Painful. So. Yeah, I can't even imagine. 
Can't even imagine. So you ended up spending not the full seven years, correct? No. So Chad drove me to California, Dublin, because in federal prison, you don't serve your sentence in Utah. You have to go wherever they have a federal they, prison. Federal right. prison, yeah. Right. And I was I served four and a half years. Actually, I served close to five. Um, I got some time off because I did the RDAP program. My whole life changed. I had... Um, the most beautiful experiences, the most painful experiences. Yeah. I I met women from all walks of life that amazed me with their strength, the things that they had been through. I learned more about myself than I ever could, and I would never recommend it. But man, I would never undo it. You know, wow. <laughs> that is amazing. So, yeah, yeah. I, c- you know, I work with a lot of clients who have been in prison or jail, and and they they you know without fail, I'll end up saying that. Like, yeah. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, <laughs> but yet I wouldn't change what I went through to get to know and learn the lessons that I've learned to be where I'm at today. Right. Yeah. I, Jeez. When I first got there for three days, I just laid in my bunk sobbing because I was just so broken. And yeah, three days. <laughs> and I had people say, you know, you got to leave the room. You got to leave the room. And finally, I just got on my knees and I said, "I feel like nobody. I am not a mother. I'm not a photographer. I'm not even a person. No one knows my name. I have failed at such a deep level. I don't know how to fix this or how to get out of it. I just need to know who I am to you." And I felt mm. this incredible amount of love. The kind of love that I thought I, mm-hmm. I would have never needed a man in my life if I knew how loved I was. <laughs> I yeah, mean, sure. You know, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. it's like, <laughs> what? And my husband loves me a lot, but I'm like, yeah. there's no comparison when you know who you are to your creator. And and then I, I could also see how loved everyone in prison was. And I knew that I had an important purpose. And I still had four and a half years left to go. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. But... I got through it because I knew who I was and I knew I had an important purpose and I had something to fight for, you know? Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners about who are you in the eyes of God? Because I think a lot of them right now, the listeners might be going, man, who, yeah, what is that? Yeah. How do you answer that question? I'm just curious if you could elaborate just a little more on that and how that played such a huge role in all this. Well, I, I think that at my very lowest point, you know, setting in a prison cell in a uniform with people I didn't know in a really cold and cinder block world on my knees, you know, feeling like I can't do this for a week, let alone four and a half years. I, the, right. I, I could only see my children's faces and I thought I can't do this. And so in that pain, I just asked and I could picture myself as a nobody just in that uniform kneeling there and I felt this incredible amount of warmth and love and it's not something that I had ever experienced before and yet I had prayed and had experiences but it was like in my very weakest moment I am so loved and valued and I have an important purpose despite the fact that I have made the worst decisions but here I am right now being having this revealed to me that I am this valuable, incredible person with more potential than I could ever comprehend. And it's not something I could have known without somebody, something to me, it's God 
to someone else, it might be a higher power. I don't know. But what I know is I know my worth now and I know everyone else's worth too. And yeah. we are incredible wow. and we can transform and the very best can come from our hardest experiences. Wow. I just know it. I've experienced so how it. far were you into the prison sentence when you had this experience? Well, I had this experience on a few occasions. Okay. <laughs> the first, yeah, I'd like to say it's the one time it changed everything yeah. forever. Not quite. Um, so when I first got in, mm -hmm. um, and, and then later on, um, I spent about six months sitting under a tree feeling very emotional. It was very yeah. cleansing for me. A lot yeah. of tears were shed. And yet I felt so connected to this power for me in nature. Yeah. When I get in nature and the whole balance and everything yeah. comes together, I just feel connected, yeah, you know, for sure. and I got that. I worked in a position where I could go sit outside under a tree and I it was very cleansing for me. Lots of tears shed and lots of, you know, sorrow for the pain I caused my children. And but there were multiple multiple times we've talked about you and I the other night when we mm -hmm. were at the Sobriety Foundation Gala yeah. and Paul Cardall was playing the piano. Well, I used to, we could have these little earbuds and radios and I used to uh -huh. download his music and I would just sit there and I would oh, feel man. that love, Yeah, you know, cause he has a way to connect you to your creator. Oh my gosh. His music. Does he ever? Yeah. So it was, that's amazing. It was beautiful. I, I want to share, I, Please. I had an experience, um, shortly. So, I, you know, I said this prayer in the beginning of my sentence and then I decided that I needed to get out of the room and go out to the track and walk around. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I walked out and I just said, Portia, this, I'm saying this out loud, so I'm sure there's some people thinking, who is this? Yeah. I don't care. By the way, yeah. I was not scared. I didn't care what anyone thought because my pain was so deep yeah. that you get past all of that, yep. you know? Yeah. But I, and I just said, you have to get it together. You have an important purpose. And I'm just trying to shake myself out yeah, of this right. impression. And I'm yeah. like, this might be the most important thing you'll ever do. And I, ha and I remembered something that was said to me. Do you know who Blue Robinson is by any chance? I, okay. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, anyway, he's a therapist that I was ordered to talk to, which I wasn't about talking to. I didn't really <laughs> care. I didn't want to yeah. talk. He was yeah. trying to tell me how I could do my time. And I was like, I am not going to prison. What are you talking about? Yeah. It was before I was sentenced. And I said, I can't comprehend. That. I said, do you know my maximum sentence is seven years? I said, I can't do a year, let alone seven years. And he goes, Portia, it would be really hard for you if you went to prison. He said, but in prison, you could still become an amazing person. He said, out here in your addiction, that's not possible. Out here in your addiction, you would be disconnected from everyone you love. You could go to prison and stay connected to the people you love and become an amazing person. Wow. Well, when he said it, I wasn't yeah. hearing him. But when I was walking around that track, I remembered. You and remember I was yeah. I was like, that is what I can do. That is what I can do. I have time. I can, everything I ever wanted to be, the integrity that I wanted to build with myself, my character, I have time to read and to work and to serve and to create my future through the way I envision myself and mm, others. That's you know? powerful. So it, it was n like, again, not easy. Sure. Lots of painful moments, but I had these experiences that really guided me and helped me see what I was capable of becoming. Yeah, so. that's incredible. Yeah. So, um, I mean, jumping ahead a little bit here, you, you know, you finally get out. Yeah. <laughs> finally. Me. I'll just say, by the time I got out, <laughs> I was so happy and free. I was like, I'm I'm happy to stay here. My life was simple. I had four t-shirts, a pair of shorts, one pair of tennis <laughs> right. shoes. I was like, I want to go back to that crazy world out there. You know, I get up early every morning. I'm walking in the sun. I'm meditating. I got really good at the simplicity and beauty of life. Yeah. And so... 
but one day they call your name over the intercom and they tell you it's time to go and my husband's waiting and I'm excited and I feel so much love for these women and excited yeah. for my future and I walked out those doors Wow! and I was free before I left and I have I feel freedom I never felt before prison so yeah wow what a, what an incredible I mean just we, I mean we could sit and talk about your whole experience there the, the you know for hours and hours and hours <laughs> But let's jump ahead just a little bit. You're doing all these great things now. We mentioned you're on the the board of the Sobriety Foundation. Yeah. You've written a, an amazing book called Living Louder, A Compassionate Journey Through Federal Prison, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and so share a little bit about this book and why you wrote the book and what it's about for yeah. those who maybe maybe want to get that. Yeah, so I I was blogging from prison and it was a way for mm. me to yeah, stay connected to my community, my family and when I, so I had people that already, you know, kind of knew what was going on with me. And then I got out and I went back to work as a photographer, but I didn't have the same meaning to me. And so I was offered mm -hmm. a job at a treatment center and I loved it. I went, you know, I started working. Yeah. And for me, it was just the connection to the work I had been doing in prison. Yeah, you're already, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would tell the girls my prison stories and they loved them. And so I started writing this book. And I, and I think that I, my reason for writing it was that my heart was so full I'd had these experiences and I didn't want to forget. That was a big prayer for me when I left. I said, don't let me forget. I don't want to forget who I became and these beautiful people that I met. And so I started writing it and I would send it to my friends in prison and let the girls at the treatment center read it and they loved it. Yeah. And so it just was this journey again. Yeah. I, I found editors and worked with people and, and got it published. And, and for me, it's just, it connects me to the to an experience that I love, I've been able to get it on a lot of the uh, tablets in prisons for free so they can download oh, it. Oh, right on. Which I love. That's so cool. Yeah, and I got it in, you know, I have uh, given it to the deaf community and to the blind community because there's an audio version and, and a digital version as well. Very so, cool. Yeah, just sharing yeah. the beauty of this experience, the people that I met. I think my passion is to connect people to the humanity and the strength of the people that I met in prison, the people out here. I feel like I I thought prison was so different than it, than it is. It's really this connection of people who have suffered so deeply, who are trying to overcome generations of hardship. And I wanted I wanted people out here to know what I knew. And so so yeah, I I wrote that, I published it about a year ago and share that and then I started working with Susan Peterson on the Sobriety Foundation. Love that organization. Yeah just doing you know helping provide scholarships for women that can't afford it or people that can't afford it um for sober living which yeah. you know susan she's amazing oh she really is yeah. shout out to susan you're yep. awesome love susan <laughs> <laughs> i love everyone on that board i know um, everyone's Terry great. Annals, all of them just have yes. their own purpose and mission and yeah. reason for being there and it's not it's stri motivated strictly to serve and do good absolutely you know? yeah so. and you could feel that that night like yeah. just the energy in that room and all the good that it's doing and you know, we're we're currently live here at Wasatch Recovery and the Sobriety Foundations, you know, has helped, you know, uh, several of our clients be able to move on and find sober living and be able to to afford something and let them continue down their journey of recovery. Right. It's so cool. Yeah. So I so that um, I also am a. Um, I guess an administrator on the Worldwide Unified Facebook page, mm -hmm. which was put together for kind of during COVID and it just grew like crazy. And it's stories. I share my story and share other people's stories that, and there's a lot of prayer requests and just 
it's a place to connect for people all over the world. Oh, really? And so, yeah. That's cool. So I'm pretty active with that. I am. I work at Renew Wellness, which is a treatment center, and love the work we do. Uh, I work with Kim patients, and oh yeah, yep. And yeah, so, um, and the we just have a. It's a smaller treatment center, but it's a. It's just for women, and I work there too. Just a couple of days a week, I go in and I facilitate meetings and take. I mean, it just keeps me so connected and yeah. grounded with the work I love to do. Right. So, and then I do a lot. Also, um, I'm pretty active in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I do, I go speak at the MTC just to share some of these experiences. Mm -hmm. They've asked me to do that. And I do firesides usually every week and just, yeah, whatever they ask, I do. Yeah, you do. And I, and I love, um, I just love sharing the hope. My life today, if I could have looked back when I was 17 years old, you know, with my first child and known, (laughs) I mean, right. I'm 51 Uh, now and I'm like, and I absolutely believe the best is yet to come. And I've been through some really hard things. For sure. So I have a lot of hope. The best is yet to come. I love that. You know, I had, you know, I've written a book too about my story, kind of the same reasons why you did as well. And I had someone asked me, you know, how do you leave a legacy? Right. And it's like, well, you know, be a good person, do good to other people, which is great. Yeah. But this, you know, he was telling me that's not what leaves a legacy. What leaves a legacy is you write your story down. Yeah. You probably know this better than I do. But I, I never thought of it that way. Like, you know, 100 years from now, right. when you and I are gone, yeah, someone's going to read your book, Portia, yeah. and it's going to save their life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Think about how amazing. That's, see, that's what it means to leave a legacy. 100 years from now, someone can pick up your book. Yeah. And read it. Isn't that cool to think about so that? Cool. That that to me, and that's how you leave a legacy is you write your story down. I, I would add to that yeah, too please. because, you know, one thing, one of the most powerful realizations that I had when I was in prison was there was nothing in four and a half years that I could do to make money or achieve something or accomplish something worldly the only thing I was going to take with me was who I became in the people's lives that I touched. Yeah. And how those ripple, that a ripple effect could be everlasting. And I believe that is the same with us in life. We're all going to leave here with nothing, you know, financially. I mean, we're going to all be in the ground. But what we do while we're here, will live on for generations Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. our own children, with our, with the people that we touch. Every person that comes through this treatment center that you touch, Mm -hmm. their life is different. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. Sure. You know, and I I got such a a real uh, practice at that. Yeah. You know, nothing financially mattered to me. I didn't care at all about money. I cared about time and connections. And I, we don't have phones in prison. So we just sit there on a bench and we talk. Yeah. (laughs) And it's beautiful. Yeah. I know. Phones get in the way now, (laughs) don't they? They (laughs) do. And so I, you know, so I, I don't miss those opportunities. Like when somebody calls me or sends a message on Facebook and says, Hey, you know, I just had a woman. She said, my daughter's in prison and I'm so, I'm struggling so much. I'm taking care of her children. I'm 70 years old. I'm tired. Would you come visit me? I said, absolutely. Next Wednesday, I'll be there. And I'm going to go sit with her and we're going to talk and we're going to connect and share my experiences and hers. And I'm going to leave better. And I hope she does too. Yeah. And I, and I know that that's what I need to do next Wednesday, you know? Wow. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What a story. 
Good job. Thank you. <laughs> it's amazing. And then I get to meet amazing people like you oh, doing all well, the good thank work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I feel the same about you. Like to be able to meet people like yourself. And it's just, that's the other cool thing. Like be, being a former drug addict or criminal and this and that, the cool thing is, is all the cool people we meet right. through all that, right? <laughs> it's so cool. Like it's in, and like you said, I loved what you said. You realize that all these women um, in, in prison, what good people they were i mean at the end of the day they're good people right oh that really hit me when you said that i i'm i know we're probably no you know you're good i'm gonna share this one story because this is to me the most beautiful no you're good this little gal (laughs) walks into prison she's 26 years old and i just love her i just loved her right away yeah and they bunked her with me and every night she got on her knees and she would pray for like 45 minutes i'm like who is this girl (laughs) that's a long time to be i'm like a five minute kind of girl yeah right (laughs) you know man (laughs) <laughs> well, I find out she has been raised poor as poor. Her mother passed away from a drug overdose. Her father from suicide. She she was actually married when she was really young and had a baby, and he was killed in a drug deal. I mean, just raised in the projects and poor communities, those Didn't things Didn't know any happen, different. Yeah. Right. And so she comes to prison because she had a drug addiction and was caught up in that. She was grateful for everything. She would take all the elderly inmates to breakfast every morning. She would write sweet notes. And I thought, who is this girl? You know? Yeah, right. Just loved her. And when I got out, when I when I left, she throws her arms around me. She says, Miss Portia, will I see you again? I said, oh, you will. You will see me again. So she comes, she goes back to Missouri and she starts working at a care center for the elderly. She meets a woman named Cecile who's had a stroke. Cecile loves Christina. The two of them become best friends. Cecile's family says, we want to hire you to come live with us and care for her. So this happens. And then they hired her as a project manager. And she is, her whole life has changed in such a beautiful way. And I recently got to speak to the family that has kind of taken her in. And they said, it has been such a blessing and joy for us to have her as part of our life. We feel honored that we get to spend time with her. She is a light to everyone she meets. I met her in prison. And she is a beautiful person, and there's so many just like her, oh, you know. My and her recovery—I mean, wow—her recovery is so beautiful to me. I've gone back and driven around and and saw the places that she that she lived. Yeah, her life has been so hard, and yet here she is. She her chance was in prison, and that's so many of the women I met. You know that their lives were hard enough that prison was their chance to finally get help and. Just know when someone comes out, Christine is a hard worker. She's honest. She's my best friend. And I met her in prison. Oh, man. So just yeah. know that those are the women I met. And I love them. And I'm honored to be one of them. Well, and I, I'm glad you're saying this because I think sometimes there's a stigma around people who've been to prison and yeah. who stay away from them like somehow. And I'll tell you um, just really quick. I had an opportunity to speak at the Utah State Prison. Oh, that's awesome. And um, just really quick. It was the most powerful spiritual experience I think I've ever had when it came to a speaking event. Yeah, These guys, all 120 of them, it was out at uh, Promontory out there at the Utah State Prison where it used to be. Yeah, And these guys were sitting up in their chairs. They weren't talking to their neighbor. Yeah, I got a three-minute standing ovation. That's right. I was like... <laughs> Those are my people. <laughs> I'm like, am I being punked right now? It no. was the guys were getting emotional. I'm going... It was the exact opposite yes. of what I maybe was anticipating. Right. And so I love that you pointed that out because, again, th- we're, we're all good people and sometimes we make mistakes. Right. We're human. We do sometimes stupid things yeah. in the moment. 
But looking back, we go, man, I, I'm going to learn and grow from that. And that's what I hear through your whole story is you kept learning, even though you went through all these trials and errors and you know yeah. heartaches and failures and yeah. setbacks, you just kept pushing forward and learning from them. And I love what you said. You'd never change a thing. No. Nope. So I got a, one final powerful question for you. Okay. If there's someone listening to your voice right now who's in a dark place, who's struggling, this one person, you've already shared some great advice, but what would you tell that one person right now? I would just say, please don't give up. Please don't give up. There is so much good waiting for you. The world is cheering you on. I am cheering you on. I could not imagine when I was sitting in that cell a life this beautiful. I could not imagine when I was 17 years old and pregnant that I could accomplish the things that I have. I could not imagine the beauty and transformation in my life today. And that's all waiting for you. Mm. I just want you to know the best is yet to come. Please don't give up. Your future self depends on you getting through this moment right now. And you can build a new life on this pain. This will be the foundation for a future that is beautiful. I love that. Build build this new life from that pain. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's beautiful. Beautifully said. <laughs> you know, if someone wants to reach out to you and, you know, maybe they want to get a copy of your book and, you know, yeah. ask you a question or anything, what would be the best way for them to do that? So I am active <laughs> on Facebook. You can always send me a message there. Okay. I, I also have a website, PortiaLouder.com. And my book is easy to get on Amazon, probably easiest there. There's also okay. an audible version of it there. And uh, yeah, just love it. I think Messenger is, you know, I have people that reach out and I write people all over the country in prisons and do. Yeah, s- yeah. I'm so just cool. I'm super open. I would love yeah. to hear and help any way I can. Yeah, so. and we'll put all that in the show notes so people have yeah. the links to all your stuff. Yeah. And I, I recommend anyone listening to this reach out to Portia. If you think you're having a rough time, she knows what it's like. So <laughs> ask her a question. She will help you, obviously. Please go buy her book. Go to Amazon.com. The The title of your book, I'm going to let you say yes. it. Because I think I've been butchering it. <laughs> it's Living Louder by Portia Louder. And it's a compassionate journey through federal prison. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, you're amazing. I'm so yeah. grateful to meet you. It's great. Uh, it's great to be sitting here with you face to face. You have such a great energy and spirit about you. And, uh, you know, Susan obviously talked really highly of you. Christian Smith always talks very high of you. I mean, everyone who knows you just says, man, she's the best. Uh, And now I know why. I mean, I kind of knew, but now I really know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an honor because I have, you are highly thought of in all the circles that I am in. And I just, I'm super honored that you would consider me to be a guest today. So thank you. You're so welcome. Well, folks, there it is. I told you she was going to be amazing. I would recommend to you guys, too, after you listen to this, if you have someone in your family who's struggling, and it doesn't have to be with addiction or they're going to federal prison, or, but if they're just struggling in general, share this, a link of this with them and then follow back up with them and ask them how it went and what they felt because they will gain some insight that will really help them from everything that Porsche shared with us today. So thank you. I love you guys. Thanks to the sponsors again for believing me. That beautiful music you heard at the beginning, at the end, is from my good friend Paul Cardall. Um, I have another fan of Paul Cardall's here with Porsche. And uh, anyway, Porsche, you're the best. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Todd.